This is Dina Weiss for Hadar on Parasha Ki Tete. Help, but don't enable. Although the phrase Ki Tete refers to going out to war, the overarching theme of this week's parasha is how to be a good civilian, neighbor, and householder. We learn about putting up fences to keep our guests safe. We learn about disciplining our children. We learn about treating the human body with respect. There are laws of marriage and divorce, laws of inheritance and charitable agriculture, and laws about treating animals with sensitivity. With all of these laws that are about vigilance and taking responsibility, it is surprising to find two laws in this week's parasha wherein the rabbis construct an exception to the norms of good citizenship and neighborliness. They teach that, in fact, there are certain times when a person can and should evade responsibility, shirking what would otherwise be considered an important obligation. This surprising reversal draws our attention to these laws. Examining these exceptions and understanding why they have been made can teach us critical lessons about the right way and wrong way to be a good neighbor and the wrong and right ways to help. The first laws where the rabbis provide the option of taking a personal exception is the law of returning lost property, Hashavat Aveda. According to the straightforward reading of the verses, this law is comprehensive in its scope, applying to all types of property and incumbent on all types of people. You shall not watch your brother's ox or sheep straying and ignore them. You shall take them back to their owner. If your brother does not reside near you, or you do not know who the owner is, you shall bring it to your own house, and it shall remain with you until your brother seeks it. Then you shall return it. You shall do the same with his donkey. You shall do the same with his garment, and you shall do the same with anything else that your brother loses and which you may find. You may not ignore it. The biblical law of returning lost property is all-encompassing, and therefore quite demanding. It covers anything that a person could encounter, not just objects that are easy to hold onto, but even animals that require a lot of attention and care. Therefore, the text emphasizes that you may not ignore the lost property you may find, even what is large and unwieldy or otherwise difficult to manage. It is therefore quite surprising that the Midrash Halakha says that there are cases of lost property which you may, and perhaps even should, willfully ignore. V'hit alamta mehem. Pa'amim she'atam mit'alim u'pa'amim she'enatam mit'alim. Ketzad? Haya kohen v'hi b'veit ha'kvarot. O she'haya zakein v'enat l'fichvodo. O she'haita shalom meruba mishal chavero. Patur. L'kach na'amar v'hit alamta. Pa'amim she'atam mit'alim u'pa'amim she'enatam mit'alim. And you ignore them. Sometimes you do ignore them, and sometimes you do not. How does the law play out? If he were a priest and the lost property is in a graveyard, or if he is an elder and collecting this property does not accord with his dignity, or if the loss he would incur by collecting the lost property 
would be greater than what his friend would lose, then he is exempt. That's why it says, Vihit alamta, you ignore. Sometimes you do ignore, and sometimes you do not. The concluding verse clearly says, Lo tuchal lihitalim, you may not ignore it. However, in the first verse of the passage, the negation lo, do not, is separated from vihit alamta, you ignore, which makes it possible for the rabbis to read the word vihit alamta on its own. That is to say, as you may ignore. That is to say, as you may ignore. A reversal of the verse's original meaning. This rabbinic permission to ignore and decide not to return the lost property is fairly broad. It extends not only to cases like the Kohen and the graveyard, as priests are prohibited from deliberately contracting impurity, but even to cases of loss of dignity or financial hardship. Moreover, in each case, the person who has encountered the lost object themselves is the one who decides whether or not the exemption applies, though they are not a court and hardly a disinterested party. The second law where the rabbis provide for personal exemptions follows immediately after the rules regarding lost property. Lo tirat chamor achicha o shoro noflim baderech mehem. Hakeim takim imo. You shall not see your neighbor's donkey or ox fallen on the road and you ignore it. You shall lift it up with him. Here we have a second law regarding encountering a friend's property. This time, pitching in to help a person load or unload their fallen animal. You may not ignore the situation and pretend that you are unaware. Instead, you must help at your own inconvenience. The phrase vihita lamta, you ignore, which was part of the laws of lost objects, reappears here in verse 4, again separated from the low, which teaches that you may not ignore. And here, the Midrash repeats itself verbatim and provides the identical dispensation, allowing one to pass by without helping their friend. Vihita lamta mehem, lifamim shatamit alem, ufamim sheenatamit alem. And you ignore them. Sometimes you do ignore them, and sometimes you don't. In order to understand the significance of these exemptions, why the rabbis make them, and what they come to teach us, we need to read the continuation of the Midrash. Hakeim takim imo. Ha'amida v'nafla, afilu hei pa'amim chayav, shen'amar hakeim takim imo. Halach v'yashav v'yamarlo, ho'il ve'alacha mitzvah, lefrok, perok, Pator, Shenemar Hakem Takim Imo. Yachol Afilu Zakain Afilu Mukashrin, Tambudlomar Hakem Takim Imo. You shall lift it up with him. If he lifted the load and it fell again, even five times over, he's still obligated to lift again. As it says, You shall lift it up with him. If the owner sat and said to the passerby, Since you have a mitzvah to remove the burden, remove it. The passerby is exempt, as it says, you shall lift it up with him. Is it possible that even if the owner was elderly or infirm, the passerby is exempt if the owner doesn't participate? That's why the verse says, you shall lift it up with him. Here, the Midrash distinguishes between two types of owners who need the help of passersby. There is one type of owner who is in need. The load is too heavy and they require assistance in lifting it. This is the kind of owner we may not ignore and are obligated to help, no matter how difficult. 
However, there is a second type of owner. This type of owner is not weak. She is lazy. This owner is taking advantage of your sympathy and taking advantage of the fact that you want to do a mitzvah. In this case, you are exempt. The Midrash does command you to lift the same load five times, so it is clear that it will not endorse laziness. Laziness is not tolerated for the passerby, and laziness is not tolerated for the owner. The Midrash Halakha exempts us from returning a lost object if it will cause an even greater loss to us. We are exempt from helping a stranger who is trying to use us and capitalize on our desire to do the right thing, to say yes. In providing these exemptions and outlining the conditions for when to employ them, the rabbis are teaching us that one is permitted to say no. When to say no and whether or not to say no is entirely in our hands and is our decision to make. We are not prohibited from returning an object when doing so is beneath our dignity. We are not told that we may not assist a person who is a freeloader, who doesn't respect our time and effort. But we are told that we are certainly entitled to be wary and encouraged to value our own time and effort. The Midrash can be distilled into two basic guidelines for when we could say no. One, when it will cause us more harm than it will contribute benefit to the other person. And two, when someone is trying to take advantage of our kindness and exploit us. It is extremely important to recognize that the calculus is not based on whether or not it would be nice to say yes. Of course it would be nice to say yes. The calculus is also not based on whether or not you were explicitly asked. Sometimes, even when you are asked, your answer can and should be no. And often, even when you are not asked, you are nevertheless obligated. The decision is based upon whether or not saying yes will harm your dignity harm you physically or financially, and whether or not the request was respectful and reasonable. Refusing to help a frail person carry their groceries can be hard-hearted, but you should not find yourself schlepping the groceries of a person who is more able-bodied than you are just because they asked. It can be very hard to say no, but it is also extremely important. Its importance is underscored by the fact that the text makes clear that the decision to say no also has to be yours. The Midrash states unequivocally that you do not have to allow yourself to be taken advantage of. However, the rabbi's permission to decline a request can be too small a comfort when we feel guilty about denying a request. Therefore, it's important to remain cognizant of the more selfless reasons why saying no can be essential. According to the Torah, a Jew may not charge interest when lending money to their fellow Jew. Interest payments always seem small when the loan is taken out and can become unbearable in the paying back. However, it is not only prohibited to charge and collect interest, it is also forbidden to pay interest, as the Mishnah teaches. These violate a prohibition associated with usury. The one who lends, the one who borrows, the one who guarantees the loan, the ones who witness the loan, and the sages say, even the scribe. They violate five separate prohibitions, including, do not place an obstacle before the blind, and you shall fear your God. Not only are we not allowed to take advantage of other people, 
we are not permitted to allow ourselves to be taken advantage of. Like the witnesses and the guarantors, the person who is willing to pay interest perpetuates an injustice. Predatory practices and unfair demands are predatory and fair and illegal, even if you are the victim. And when you are the victim, you are not the only victim, since you are facilitating the sin of the usurer. If he had no one to lend to at interest, there would be no market. By being willing to be mistreated yourself, you are also providing someone else with the opportunity to sin. When you do not say no to unreasonable requests, you become an enabler of abusive behavior. The second reason why it is so important to say no to unreasonable requests is that when people do say no on occasion, it creates a climate where it is safe for people to ask for what they need. If I need a favor from you, and I can trust you to say no if my request is too onerous, then it becomes safe for me to ask you for help. If I know that you are going to say yes to anything I ask for, even if it comes at tremendous harm to you, then I need to be careful about asking. If I can't trust you to look after your own interests, then I have to look after your interests, and I might do so even at significant cost to me. When inappropriate requests are denied, when exploitative demands are ignored, it creates an environment where people use their capacity to give to those who are the most deserving, not the most audacious, and it enables everyone to feel comfortable asking for assistance. We also need to think carefully about the requests that we make. When we ask someone to help, we need to take into account how difficult it might be for our requests to be accommodated. It is not true that it doesn't hurt to ask. It doesn't hurt you to ask, but you might be asking someone to make an investment of time that they do not have. You might be asking someone to part with money or energy that will be better spent elsewhere. But because you asked, and only because you asked, it is now being spent on you. Ask when you need help, and never because you are unwilling to put in the effort yourself. And notice whom you are asking from, and make sure you know whether or not they are truly able and feel empowered to refuse. The Talmud and Yoma teaches that when Rabbi Zera had an issue with someone, he would walk back and forth in front of them and make himself available so that they could apologize to and appease him. He was clearly willing to forgive them, so why not just forgive in his heart and move on? Rabbi Zera understood that if he did that, he would be depriving the person who wronged him of the opportunity to do the right thing. A kind, firm no can be a favor both to the person who makes the request and to the one who denies it. Wishing you a Shabbat of both yes and no. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to our weekly Debrit Torah. To see more from our archive, please visit hadar.org slash Torah.